be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you. Wherever you go. Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you are worshiping with us today, wherever you are, whether you're on site or you're online. If you're new, my name's Chad, and we are just honored that you carved out some time to be with our church family here today. But if you are here in person, would you put your hands together, get loud, welcome in our online family. Let them know that we're glad that they're worshiping with us here today. And today is Super Bowl Sunday, and as you guys know, the Super Bowl isn't just a game, it's a social event, it's a cultural event. And so I would like to take a quick poll real fast as we get started, because there are certain traditions that go along with the Super Bowl, and so I'm going to put some things up on the screen, and I just want to see where our church is right now, and so I want you to vote, and how you're going to vote right now is by shouting out loud, screaming, hollering, hooping, whistling whatever you want to do just let us know who you're for or what you're going to vote for if you're at home watching right now you can go and put it in the online chat we would love to hear from you as well but let's see what some of your Super Bowl traditions are okay so here's our first set of options now when it comes to the Super Bowl typically people have Super Bowl parties and they lay out a nice spread of food you know so two classics pigs in a blanket or buffalo chicken dip. And so I want to see which one you guys would vote for. If you had to pick one, which one would you pick? So how many of you all would vote for pigs in a blanket? Wow. Man, I think that's the majority. But let's see. How about buffalo chicken dip? I don't know. I don't know. It's pretty close. Close to what I thought. I would pick buffalo chicken dip, and if you know me, I would put it on a salad, okay? So here are our next two options. Okay, desserts are also a big part of Super Bowl parties, right? So if you had to pick a themed-out dessert, would you pick a football cookie cake or some football brownies? So let me hear how many of you guys would vote for the cookie cake. Okay, good number. What about the brownies? Yeah, I think the brownies won out on that one. How many of you guys would like some ice cream and put these two together? How's that? Yeah, are you with me? Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Okay, now something else that's important to some people when it comes to the Super Bowl are the extras. Now, I'm all about the game itself. I don't care about the commercials. I don't care about the halftime show, but a lot of people do. And so if you had to pick one to watch, you have to pick one to watch, which one would you pick? Would you rather watch the commercials or the halftime show? So let me hear you. How many guys would pick the Super commercials okay that's good how about the halftime show yeah not not near as many yeah and probably because there's too many wardrobe malfunctions but still okay we'll move on from that one more one more here and so this is the most important that we're gonna vote on which team are you going to cheer for tonight are you gonna cheer for the Cincinnati Bengals or are you gonna cheer for the LA Rams so how many of you guys will be cheering for Cincinnati awesome yeah God's people right there there we go okay we got a we got a who day back there all right sweet 
Okay, how many of you would be voting for the LA Rams? Yeah, the church is for sinners, so glad you're here. Glad you're here. No. If you can't tell, I am cheering for the Bengals tonight. Now, that may shock some of you because normally when I talk about sports, I'm talking about college sports, but I grew up like an hour and 20 minutes from Cincinnati. Allison, my wife, had family that lived in Cincinnati. I went to grad school for two years in the city of Cincinnati. I've been cheering for the Bengals my entire life, but normally we just don't have that much to cheer about. So this year, we have something to celebrate, and I'm excited to get to watch them in the Super Bowl. But even though I'm a Bengals fan... I'm not near as big of a fan as one of our other staff members. If you guys know Jake Fallis, who's our care minister, he is a huge, mega Cincinnati fan, and he and his family had the opportunity to go to the AFC Championship game just a few weeks ago when they won it in overtime, and he actually filmed himself as the Bengals won the game, and I want to show you this clip. Now, this may be hard for some of you who are Chiefs fans. I get it, but just watch it for Jake's reaction, okay? Here we go. Isn't that great? I love it. But here's the thing. It gets better. His wife, Christy, actually filmed him filming himself. And I've got that video as well. Take a look. (laughs) I love his little jump there. Isn't that great? By the way, that little girl he picked up is his daughter. Don't worry, okay? (laughs) Wasn't some strange girl or something. He picked up his daughter. All right. Now, if you're watching that for the first time, you you may be thinking, oh, come on, Jake. Act like you've been there before. But he's a Bengals fan. We haven't been there before, okay? It's been 33 years since the Bengals have been to the Super Bowl. And in many ways, you might say, for Cincinnati, this is uncharted territory. Did you see what I did there? See the transition? Yeah, it works, doesn't it? Okay. Yeah, I know. I needed something to switch gears. Okay. But we are in a series right now called Uncharted Territory. And the reason why we titled this series this, and titled this series this name, is not because we thought that the Bengals were going to make it to the Super Bowl. We called this series this because we believe it's a great description of the times that we're living in right now, the season that we're living in right now. Because right now in our culture, we are facing things that we never thought we would have to face. And we're dealing with issues that a few years ago, we never thought we would have to deal with. Our culture today is just full of uncertainty and unknowns. And when people think about what we're going through, they see it as uncharted territory. And that's scary for a whole lot of people. But that's the reason why we launched this series last week. Because as you read throughout Scripture, what you discover is time and time, again. God led his people through uncharted territory, and oftentimes God does his biggest, his biggest work in the midst of uncertain times. And I believe God is still a big God who wants to do big things in and through us today. And just because the season that we're in may be a little bit scary or unknown doesn't mean that God isn't still God and He isn't still working and wants to do even greater things through His people. So when I look at the times that we're living in right now, I don't see a crisis. You know, a lot of people, they talk about our culture today as if it's a culture in crisis and it's chaotic and scary. I don't 
see it as a crisis. I see it as a calling. Because in this moment, God can use us to reshape and reframe our society, our culture, our communities for the sake of his son. We just have to be willing to place our trust in him. And that's why we're studying in this series the life and the ministry of this guy named Joshua from the Old Testament. Because Joshua, Joshua was a guy that God asked to lead his people into uncharted territory. God asked Joshua to lead his people into the land of Canaan, the promised land, a land that they had never been in before. They had no idea exactly what they were in for. And so God asked Joshua to do that, and God ends up using that generation in phenomenal ways. And Joshua tells the people, listen, if we just trust God, even though we're a little bit apprehensive about this, even though there may may be some things that scare us, if we will just trust God, he will do this. He will show us which way to go since we've never been here before. If you'll just trust God, you'll know which way to go. He'll show us since we've never been here before, since we're going down uncharted territory. And I believe that's what God wants us to know today as well. In fact, his word says that in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. In other words, don't trust in your own insight, in your own ideas. Trust in God's wisdom. And when you listen to Him and you follow Him, He will make your path straight. In other words, the path in front of you may look dangerous, it may look curvy, it may be unknown, but He will make that path straight for you if you will trust Him. And I believe that's why we need to hear this series right now. Because I think a lot of us are just wasting our time rather than redeeming the time that God has given us in this moment. This isn't a crisis, this is a calling. But in order for God to use us to reshape and reframe the culture around us, we have to be willing to do it. Because one lesson that we're going to learn from the life and the ministry of Joshua is this. No one drifts into the promised land. You have to choose it. No one drifts into the promised land. It's something you have to choose. See, Moses' generation learned that the hard way. God wanted Moses' generation, the generation before Joshua, God wanted them to enter the promised land, but they didn't want it for themselves. And if we want to apply this to our generation today, we could say it like this. No one drifts into the life God wants to give them. You have to choose it. See, before Joshua took over as the leader of the people, Moses was leading the people, and through Moses, God led his people, the Israelites, to the brink of greatness, to the edge of the promised land. And God did miracle after miracle after miracle to get his people there. Remember, he rescued them from their slavery in Egypt, parted the Red Sea, and sent manna from heaven, all sorts of cool stuff to get his people to the edge of the promised land. And once they got there, God says to Moses, we looked at this last week, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. God says, I've been promising this land to my people for 400 years, and now I'm going to give it to them. It's a gift. You haven't done anything to earn this. There's no way that you could, you could possess this land in your own strength, but I'm going to give it to you as a gift. So what God asked for Moses to do in his day 
was to send some men in to explore the land and to come back with a report about the land so that they could let the people know the land is exactly what God has promised. It's a bountiful, prosperous land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So Moses obeys God. He sends in 12 spies. And the spies come back. And 10 of them, the large majority of them, say, hey, the land is prosperous and it's beautiful and it's awesome just like God said but we can't live there because there's already people living there and they're strong and they're mighty and they're powerful and they've got armies and fortified cities and we even saw giants there we can't take them on we're a bunch of former slaves and we don't have any military experience we can't take on those giants but two of the spies Joshua and Caleb they disagree. And they said, God hasn't brought us this far to abandon us. Now, the only reason why we're even here on the brink of greatness is because God has brought us here. Let's just trust him, follow him. He'll be with us just like he's been with us. But the people didn't listen to Joshua and Caleb. They rebelled against God and they said, let's go back to the desert. Let's turn back and go to Egypt. Because their faith was in themselves. And not in God. They were trusting in themselves and not in God. And because of that, they decided to turn back for the desert. And some of the saddest words in the Old Testament, I think, are the words of Moses that are found in Deuteronomy 2, verse 1. Moses is recalling this time in his life, and he says, Then we turn back and set out toward the desert. Moses, who'd been waiting for the promised land for years, had to say, And we turned back and went for the desert. And for 40 years, God's people wandered in the desert because God said, none of this generation is going to inherit the land. I'll give your children a chance, but I'm going to wait for everybody who's an adult in this generation to die off before I give my people a chance again to inherit this land. And so for 40 years, the people of Israel wander around in circles in the desert and do funerals. That's all they do for 40 years. And I just imagined what was going through Joshua's mind that entire time. One who had seen the promised land and knew how great it was, but knew that his people had settled for so much less. See, something is wrong when God's people choose camping over claiming. And that's what the people in Moses' day did. They chose to camp in the desert to settle where they were rather than claim the promises of God, rather than claim the better life that God had in store for them, they chose camping over claiming. And their story has way too often been repeated among the people of God. What about in your life? Are you choosing camping over claiming right now? Does God want to work in your life in some significant way? Does he want to change your situation? Does he want to bring healing to your pain? Does he want to help you get past that addiction or that sin that you're struggling with? Does he want to transform your life or the life of your family? Does he want to open up a door of opportunity? Are there things that God wants to do in your life right now, but you're comfortable where you're at? And you know it's going to take some faith to move forward with him, so you're settling right now for camping rather than claiming? It happens a lot in the church. Guys, I know churches right now that are trying nothing, attempting nothing, sacrificing nothing, and therefore they are accomplishing nothing. 
and they have baptized wandering as normal. They've baptized walking around in circles and camping as normal when God has so much more in store for them. And I don't know about you, but I am so grateful to be part of a church that isn't like that. I love being part of First Church. I love this church family. I say it all the time, but I don't think I can say it enough. I tell people all the time, if I wasn't employed by First Church and I had some other job but I lived in Owasso, I would come to church here because I love this church family. And we are seeing God do phenomenal things in our midst right now. And sometimes it's important for us just to pause and to recognize what God is doing because we don't want to be a church that camps out where we are. We want to be a church that continues to move forward where God wants us to go. And as a staff, we were looking at some of our stats from 2021 a while back, and something hit us. We should have recognized this before, but it didn't until we were actually looking at it again. And in 2021, we realized that we averaged our highest worship attendance numbers in the history of our church. On average, in 2021, we averaged more people than we ever have in the 115-year history of our church. How cool is that? I mean, that is exciting. Yeah, you can clap for that. You can look at the numbers if you want to. I'm not going to break them all down, but that's where we are. And here's the thing. When you look at just last Sunday's attendance, 2022 is bigger than 2021. And when you look at just last Sunday's attendance, we had almost double the attendance last Sunday what we did four years prior at that exact same time. God is doing incredible work. And it's not just in our attendance. I mean, last Sunday before I came out to preach, James Summers, our next-gen director, he texted our lead team, and he said, guys, our next-gen ministry is exploding. I mean, he was pumped, and he was talking about what was going on in early childhood and how we have record numbers upstairs with first kids and how we almost had 100 students between our junior and senior high classes that were present. I mean, it is just incredible what God is doing in the next generation. We started a new young adult ministry, which is just moving uh, at a fast, fast pace, and it's growing, and it's awesome to see our young adults coming together in that community and you can look across the board whether it's small groups or it's our online ministry or it's loving the 918 going out and doing local ministry to help people I mean just yesterday we had a group from our love 918 ministry go and help move some furniture for some people in our community or it's supporting our global mission partners we are seeing God open up opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to advance his kingdom on earth And I say all that not to pat ourselves on the back. I say all that for two reasons. One, we need to make sure that we stop to give God credit because it's him. I'll just tell you right now, it's not because of me, it's not because of our other staff members, it's not because of our elders, it's because of him. And we just want to open up ourselves for him to work in us. But I also tell you this, because this can be a dangerous place to be. Now what do I mean by that? See, when God starts doing some great stuff, that's when Satan attacks. And here's the thing. Churches are tempted when they have some success to just settle for where they are. That's what the Israelites did. In Moses' day, they had seen God do all these miraculous things, and then they get to the brink of the promised land, the edge of the promised land, and they settle for where they are. And God calls his people out of Egypt to be conquerors, not wanderers. And the same is true for us today. And that's the message 
that I believe God wants Joshua to tell the people of his day. So after 40 years of wandering in the desert, walking around in circles and doing funerals, God appears to Joshua. Everybody from the previous generation has now died off. Moses is dead. And so God appears to Joshua as the new leader of the people. And look at what happens. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. So we're entering into this new chapter of Israelite history. Joshua is the new leader of the people. And this is the first time we have God coming to Joshua as the new leader of the people. And what's the first thing that God says to Joshua? Moses is dead. Now, that's probably not what we would have said to Joshua. You know, that doesn't sound very encouraging on the surface, does it? Hey, Joshua, you're the new leader of the people, and Moses, your mentor, and your mentor, you know, your friend, he's dead. Probably not what we would have said. So why does God start off mentioning what Joshua has lost? Because this was a pretty big loss. I mean, Moses had this special relationship with God. In fact, the Bible says about Moses, it says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. I mean, Moses' relationship with God was second to none, and now he's gone. Not only that, I said that Moses was Joshua's mentor. He was more than that. He was like a father figure to Joshua. He was close to, Joshua was close to Moses and now Moses is gone. But also Moses represented an entire generation of people that they had now lost. The people of Israel had watched their parents and grandparents die in the wilderness. And Moses represented that generation. So why is it that God comes to Joshua and the first thing he says is to remind him of what he's lost. Well, I think God knows that before we can fully embrace what's next, we have to come to terms with what we've lost. Before we can move forward, sometimes we need to come to terms with what we've lost. And here's the thing. As a culture, we've lost a whole lot over the past two years. We may not want to talk about it, but it's true. We've lost people. We've lost concepts and ideas that we used to put our hope in that we used to believe is true we've lost our sense of normalcy we've lost some of our comforts if you're a student you may have lost school dances and proms and even your graduation we've lost a lot over the past two years and we can try to hide those emotions in the basement of our lives and pretend like that they're not there but eventually, those things are going to come to the surface. And if we don't deal with them, if we don't own them, they will own us. We need to be honest about that pain. And that's why I want to tell you today, it's not just okay to grieve our losses, the losses that we've experienced over the past two years. I think it's important, it's essential that we do so. Because only when you come to terms with what you've lost can you then turn it over to God. And we may not be going back to where we were before, and God may not replace everything right now that we've lost, but he can provide healing in the midst of our hurting. He can give us hope for a better tomorrow, and his presence can bring us peace. But we only find that when we deal with it, and we then turn it over to him. See, sometimes God uses desert seasons to clarify what really matters. And I've talked to a lot of people that have said, 
Over the past two years, a lot of things are clear that didn't used to be clear. And when you start to get that clarity from God, then that clarity will propel you, motivate you to embrace the promises that God has for you. And that's what God wants for Joshua. And that's why he says to Joshua, he says, Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them. In other words, he's saying, Joshua, now this is your time. The generation before you, they weren't able to do it. But your generation has an opportunity to do something that the generation before you couldn't do. Now is your time, Joshua, to move forward. But what God is going to let Joshua know is that you've got to want that. You've got to choose that. Because remember what I said earlier, no one drifts into the promised land. It's a choice that we make. And that's why God says to Joshua, he says, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Now, did you catch what God is saying here? I'm going to give it to you, but you've got to set your foot there. I'm going to give it to you. It's a gift from me, but you've got to be willing to go there. I'm going to give it to you, but you've got to be willing to move there. That's why Joshua goes on and tells the people a little bit later, he says, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Catch this language here. What does Joshua tell the people? God's going to give it to us, but we've got to take it. We've got to take what God is willing to give us. We've got to want it, and we've got to go after it. Now, that might be a little bit confusing because you might be thinking, well, how is it a gift if we have to take it. Well, it's really not that hard to understand. Let me illustrate it like this. This past week, my kids, they gave me a gift. They gave me a new wallet. I will wear a wallet. You know, a billfold, I will wear a wallet out, and it'll start to have holes in it and be falling apart, and I won't buy one. I'll just keep using it until somebody gives me one, basically. And so my kids and Allison decided I need a new wallet. They gave me one. So I started to transfer over my, the cards and cash and whatever I had in my wallet to my new wallet. And as I'm transferring stuff over, I found something that I didn't know I had. I found a Starbucks gift card. Now, somebody had given me this gift card like a year ago, and I forgot about it. I tucked it away in my wallet. I forgot about it. And I just want to let you know, I really appreciate gift cards. I do. I'm not asking for one right now or anything, but I do appreciate them. Uh, hide away. But I'm not, I'm not asking for one or anything. I'm just saying I appreciate them. I like them. But this one I had forgotten about, okay? And when I saw it, it hit me. That was given to me a year ago. And I didn't earn it. I didn't work for it. I didn't even deserve it. Somebody freely gave it to me. But in order for it to work, I had to go claim it. I had to go to Starbucks and use it. And that's how God's promises work. God freely gives us things. He promises us things. But in order for us to have those promises, we have to claim them. And that's what God is letting Joshua know. If you're going to claim the promises that I have for your people, you're going to need something. And he tells Joshua what that is. He says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. 
Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Now, did you catch a common theme there? Three times, God tells Joshua to do what? To be strong and courageous. And what's God saying? Don't choose the path of fear. Don't choose the weaker path. That's what your ancestors chose, and they went back to the desert. You choose the strong path. You choose the path of the courageous, the bold path, the path that I want you to take. And a lot of times when we think about courage, in our modern view, what we think about is not being scared. But the Bible kind of pictures courage in a different way. The Bible depicts courage as not the absence of fear, but it's trusting God in the middle of our fears. It's not that we're never going to be afraid because there are some things in this world that are scary when we first confront them on our own, but we're able to still move forward because we know who's with us and we know who is on our side. And so what God does here for Joshua is he spells out what a courageous life looks like, and I think we need to hear this just as much as Joshua's generation needed to hear it as well. The first thing that God tells Joshua is that we need to be a people who believe God can do what we can't. See, so often we only accomplish what we can do within our own strength and our own ability. And we only set goals that we could accomplish on our own. And what God tells Joshua is, I can do the impossible. And just as I did the impossible in Moses' day, I can do the impossible in your day. Listen to what he says. He says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What is it that God is saying? Remember all those miracles I did in Moses' day? I can do miracles in your day as well. Do you think that the people got here to the edge of the promised land on their own? Of course not. They're only here. They only got free from their slavery and survived in the desert all these years because I am with them. I did the impossible in your life. And what he is telling Joshua is you need to believe and expect that I can do the impossible in your generation as well. And do we today believe that our God can do what we can't do? You know, the other day, I was looking at some of the miracles that God has done throughout the Bible. And as I started to look at all the crazy things that God has done during crazy times, I made a list. And I'm just going to give you a brief summary of this list. I'm not going to tell you everything I wrote down. But here are some of the things that I wrote down. Some of the crazy things that God did during crazy times. God spoke through a donkey. Which, by the way, I'm proof he still does that today because he speaks through me. But anyway, God spoke through a donkey. He turned water the waters of Egypt into blood. He sent fire from heaven to light an altar. He made an axe head float. He saved Daniel from the lion's den. He empowered David to defeat Goliath. He sent a big fish to swallow Jonah. He held back rain for three years from the land. He stopped time so that the Israelites could win a battle. He knocked down the walls of Jericho. He multiplied a widow's oil. He parted the Red Sea. He walked on water. He fed thousands with a sack lunch. He calmed storms. He healed the blind, lepers, and a whole host of other diseases. He called the dead out of the grave, and ultimately, once and for all, he defeated the curse of death on the cross himself. And here's the thing. 
if that's our God, if we really believe that, then the giants that we're up against don't stand a chance. See, we find our confidence by remembering God's faithfulness. So think back on all the stuff that God has done in history and biblical history, but also think back on all the times that God has been with you in your life. And when you get to one of those moments when you're facing a giant, remember the faithfulness of God because that will give you confidence in that moment because conventional wisdom should never invalidate the clear leading of God. And so often, we allow for the wisdom of people to distract us from what God wants. And that leads me into the next thing that God tells Joshua. God says that a people of courage are a people who listen to God's voice. Did you notice in the passage we just read how many times God tells Joshua to pay attention to his word? Listen to what he says. He says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Meditate on it day and night all the time. Be in my word. Be meditating on it, studying it. Why does God say that? Because God knows that there are a ton of competing voices in this world that want to distract us from his voice. And what he's telling Joshua is, know who I am. Get into my word so you can distinguish my voice from everybody else's voice. Get into my word and study it so you know what you need to do. Because there are a lot of voices out there that are going to be crying out to you, trying to distract you from what you need to do. You guys may not know this, but Valentine's Day is tomorrow. If you're a husband, I hope you know that. But uh, last Valentine's Day, I had a little bit of a hiccup because I wanted to take Allison to one of her favorite restaurants. And so I called the restaurant, and I made reservations. And when they answered the phone, it was kind of noisy and loud. I couldn't really hear what they said. So I was just like, is this? And then I said the name of the restaurant, and they said, yes, it is. And I said, okay, I'd like to make a reservation for Valentine's Day. Here's my name and number, and here's the time. They said, sure, we got you down. We'll see you on the 14th. And I'm like, oh. Okay, awesome. So Valentine's Day rolls around, and, I, and we show up to the restaurant. We go up to the little host counter there, and I said, hey, my name's Chad Broadus, and I have a reservation. And they looked at me, and they said, we don't take reservations here. We never have. And I'm like, but I called earlier this week, and I talked to somebody, and I made a reservation. And they started to laugh. They said, yeah, if you are one number off, one digit off when you call, you get somebody's cell phone, and they get a lot of calls for this place, and so they'll just act like that they're us, and they'll take your reservation or whatever you want, and then they prank you. And I'm like, what? I mean, they almost ruined my Valentine's Day. By the way, if that's you, I want to talk to you after service, okay? Because you almost ruined my Valentine's Day. But the people at the restaurant were super nice, and they let us in anyway, and I appreciate that. Now you know an excuse to use if you ever don't have a reservation, right? But I... I was thinking about that. You know, I thought I was talking to somebody, and it wasn't who I thought. The voice on the other end wasn't who I thought it was. And if we don't know God well enough, we're going to confuse one of the competing voices of this world for his, and we're going to end up in some trouble. I think that happens to Joshua and the people once they get into the promised land. See, this is what God promises Joshua. He says, I will give you every place where you set your foot. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, and all the Hittite country to the great sea of the west. Do you know how much land that is? That's about 300,000 square feet that God describes there. Do you know how much land Joshua and his generation actually took? 30,000. Not even close to what God promised them. You know why? Because they got into the promised land and they got distracted. 
See, eventually the Israelite people will take over all that land, but it's not till the days of David and Solomon that the Israelites claim all the land that God promised. Joshua's generation could have, but they got into the promised land and they got distracted. They allowed for the enemy to intimidate them to where they didn't claim everything that God wanted them to claim. And guys, I don't want that to be our generation. I want us to be a generation that's able to say confidently, we're not going to let the enemy tell us how much we can take in Jesus' name. Because this world is his. It's our God's. It's not our enemies. It's God's. And we will go where he wants us to go. And we're not going to let the enemy tell us otherwise. And then the last thing that Joshua tells the people, which came straight from God, is that you need to be a people who want what God wants for us. See, they had to trust in God's future for them. And I think the generation before them didn't actually want what God wanted for them. They wanted something else. They were focused on the land, and what they missed is what the land was supposed to be all about. See, back in Leviticus, the Bible says this. God says, I am the Lord your God. I rescued you from Egypt and gave you the land of Canaan so that I would be your God. The whole point of entering into this land was so that they could have this special new relationship with God. That's why way back when the people were still in Egypt, God says this. He says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. The whole point of going into the promised land wasn't just the land, but it was the relationship they were going to have with their Lord. And when you know that God is with you and he's living life with you, you don't worry about the giants that are there because you know your God is bigger. And I think sometimes we miss that God leads us. He leads us into the unknown because he wants to teach us to trust him. See, faith is like a muscle. It has to be worked to become strong. And faith that can't be tested isn't real faith. And I think sometimes when we talk about the promised land and we use it for an analogy or an illustration today, we always just think of it like heaven. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think really the promised land is a better illustration of the life we have right now with God. Because, you see, when the Israelites got to the promised land, they still had struggles They still had obstacles. They still had to deal with sin. They still had to face giants and fight battles. It wasn't a perfect life, but it was a life with God. And that's what we're going through right now. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're doing life with God, but we're still going to have struggles and issues and deal with the sin of this world, and we're still going to have to fight battles. But here's the thing, when God is with us, we know that the giants that we're up against don't stand a chance. And we just need to remember that he is our motivation for moving forward. The Israelites in Moses' day, they had the wrong motivation. It was all about just getting something physical. And they missed that the land was all about having this relationship with God. It is Super Bowl Sunday, and I do enjoy watching football, and even though I'm not a Dallas Cowboys fan, this past summer we visited Texas, and we stopped by AT&T Stadium where the Cowboys play, and we had to walk out on the field. It was awesome. Alex threw me a touchdown pass, and I threw him one, so we can say we both caught touchdown passes you know, on the, on the Cowboys field. It was a lot of fun. But while we were there, we learned a whole lot about the history of the Dallas Cowboys, and they had their inaugural season in 1960, and it wasn't a great season. Some of you guys may have lived through that, or maybe you've read about it. They, their record was that they had zero wins, 11 losses, and one tie. Not a great season. 
And in fact, the players were really discouraged. They had this new coach, Tom Landry, maybe you've heard of him. And he was trying to motivate the team. And about three-fourths three of the way through the season, the guys were getting ready to take the field for a game. And the players ran out onto the field with energy and excitement and enthusiasm. And everybody was kind of shocked. And one of the reporters asked Tom Landry, he's like, Coach, how did you get the guys to run out with such excitement and enthusiasm? Tom Landry said, it was real easy. I just told the guys in the locker room that the last 11 to the bench had to start. And so they all took off and ran. You know, what's your motivation? What's going to motivate our generation to take what God wants us to take? Because here's the thing. It's all about Him, and if we're focused on Him, we won't be focused on the giants. And I'd rather follow God into battle than settle somewhere without Him. And I'm just afraid that for way too long in the American church, we've been settling where we are without Him. When He's ready for us to move and enter a new chapter with Him. See, that statement that I read earlier from the book of Deuteronomy, Moses' words, says, Then we turn back and set out toward the desert. There's another statement that comes in Joshua. We're going to look at it here in a few weeks. But it says this, it says, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan. Broke camp. Which of those two verses would describe your life right now? Are you somebody who's turning back to camp in the desert? Are you somebody who's breaking camp to move forward and claim the promises of God? What about our church? Are we a church that's settling for camping? Are we moving forward to claim what God wants us to claim? The choice is ours because no one drifts into the promised land. It's a choice that God gives us. I don't know about you, but I want to be part of the generation that embraces, that all, embraces all that God wants to give us. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today and this time we've had to open up your word and study it. And Father, I just pray that we will be a generation that is known for claiming your promises and not settling, not camping where we are. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.